Hello, this is Michael Paley from Budapest. Hello, this is Bria Paley from Queens. And we are doing the Paley's on a Pod podcast. our second one and i want to congratulate my daughter bria for engineering two podcasts thank you um i've had some help but it is not my forte so i will take that uh appreciation <laughs> you know bria this is in uh, budapest uh, this is a a big week because it is yom HaShoah. it's the day of the holocaust memorial yesterday i woke up and i went downstairs in front of our house and there was a barbed wire um, wall uh, just in front of our our door, um, which kind of looked like uh, um, Auschwitz, and I was I was kind of freaked out by this until I remembered that yesterday was the March of the Living in Budapest. Oh, so it wasn't for a film like you thought? It wasn't for a film. They they actually had this barbed wire, um, and they had uh, a, a, a string quartet playing Schindler's List. And they were reading the names of Hungarian Holocaust survivors, or not survivors, Holocaust victims, um, uh, of which there were in Greater Hungary um, in 1944 and 5, 600,000 victims. One out of every 10 people that died in the Holocaust died from Hungary in the last few months of the war. Wow. And I thought about those those people. And I, then I also thought about um, about what we did a few years ago when we, which we went on, not the March of the living, which is um, Wednesday night and Thursday of this year, where tens of thousands for the first time since the beginning of COVID are going to go back to Auschwitz and then March to Birkenau and then get on buses and go to the airport and fly to Israel. And the, and the, and the story behind that, the narrative is if you live in Poland, no matter how comfortable you are, no matter how many there are, there were three and a half million Jews living in Poland. Ultimately, the only safe place is Israel. But we, a few years ago, didn't do that. We went on the ride for the living, where Bri and I biked the around 50 miles from Auschwitz to Krakow. And the message was really different. Instead of going right to Israel and thinking the only safe place is Israel, we went and visited all the places in Krakow, Poland, like the JCC of Krakow and our friend Jonathan Orenstein, where Jewish life is reviving. And I, I kind of want to know, know what you thought about that, and how do you feel about it? And as a child, as a grandchild of Holocaust survivor, I mean, I, 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 it's something I had been thinking about and wanted to do, and was grateful that I got to be a part of it. And I think just the energy that day of like however many people, I think two hundred or something people there, and I had my my padded bike shorts, and as you mentioned in the last um, podcast, I. I did not understand the gears. I'm not, I'm not sure. I still I still don't think I understand how bike gears work, work, to be honest. It's just, I don't know. It's just one of those things that I doesn't quite click for me. But, uh, you know, I was I was excited to be a, a part of this experience and really imagining what it, what it was like for people to um, to have made this journey. And we were, you know, very privileged to be in a, you know, in a good setting and on nice bike shorts. Yeah. Wearing, wearing bike shorts. And we had these rest stops where we were greeted by, you know, hosts and, um, 
I missed the last rest stop because I I was so slow, I guess because of the gears or who knows what else, that I I found myself to be alone at, at towards the end of the ride. It had been many hours and I still had energy, but there were supposed to be people kind of at the end, you know, making sure no one was was lost. But so, somehow, I don't know how I got left behind. Luckily, I had a phone with a local SIM card, so I was able to reach out to get to figure out what to do next. And they they came and got me and brought me um, to the to the next place. But I missed the final resting stop, so that was you know interesting. Um, but I I just yeah I think back on that day and just getting to do that with you and feeling you know unsure of my um, my abilities. <laughs> But but make you know it with biking or whatever. But but knowing that I was able to to do it and to um, at the end when we all got to be together and celebrate uh, what what was the last in person ride. Mm-hmm. Well, you know there was a um, that moment when you got lost um, was very poignant to me because here I am, your father, and and you know so many people. I say this in a number of ways. It'll just it'll stack them up for you. Number one, it's, we just had the Seder. Um, and it says you have to feel like you went out of Egypt yourself. So the whole Seder is a simulation in some ways of going out of Egypt. You know, we eat the food that they ate. We we eat the maror so we can feel the heat and spice of it. And 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 so in some ways, you know, you feel like you're going out of Egypt. Not like you're really going out, but you feel like it. And I felt the ride almost simulated that moment and all of a sudden I'd lost my daughter, you know, which was very big, very, you know, I was sure I'd find you after all it's, it was 2020 maybe, but 19, but even so it was 2019. But anyways, I got separated from my kid in Krakow between Auschwitz and Krakow. Right. It was like really, you know, the image of it was very strong. And, and today, um, I went out on the ring road of Budapest and I saw refugees, you know, and there it's all these women with their little children walking down the street and sometimes older, older people in wheelchairs, but no men. There weren't any men because all the men are in Ukraine fighting. And and so, you know, what's this guy who's 25 years old in Ukraine who has a two year old kid or whatever he is making that up, you know, and his kids in Budapest. I know it was very. So I thought about you and I getting separated at that moment. Yeah, I also um, was nervous. You know, I've I've done a lot of travel, solo travel. I've done some some risky things here and there, and um, but uh, yeah, you don't you don't want that to happen. You know, you can help it. So there's something there to to, to know. I think that we think about things going according to plan and all of a sudden we were off the plan. Hmm. Well, the day was so well structured and, you know, it had been talked about and organized for, for so long. So yeah, all of a sudden I found myself um, alone and, and just not quite sure what to do next, but you, but I checked my phone and you, you know, I already had a message from you. And then I think you were you were quite worried to have me out of your sight after that, which is yeah. understandable. But the last thing I wanted to do is be separated from you in the in the space between Krakow and Auschwitz, which is where Auschwitz is 
located? Well, I know I knew we were almost towards the end, you know, because it was it had been many hours and yeah. You know, I, I knew how many rest stops there had been. But I don't you know, it, a memory just like flashed in my head of like being lo- getting lost. I feel like I've been lost quite a few times, you know. Even growing up, you know, I would get lost in the supermarket and they'd have to page you. I'd get lost in the swimming pool and they'd have to page you. <laughs> um, and I was always very, very scared of being lost. One time I remember we were in Switzerland, I guess staying at our, at our cousin's house. And, and I got lost and didn't know the language. And someone, oh. had to, someone had to help me find out where to go. I don't remember what happened. And I feel, I feel lost now. It's a weird feeling to be this age and have the family support, almost 39, and have the family support that I do, which is strong. And I know a lot of other people don't have that kind of family support or resources that I have. But to feel like this sense of of not knowing, not knowing where the path is, like I veered off the path. And I don't know, I don't know how to find, how to find it again. That's, that's how it feels right now. And, and really like a sense of like being alone, like, like loneliness, even though I I also do have many people who care about me and if I needed would come right away, but I've been so self-sufficient for a while that it's hard to, uh, it's hard to admit when, when I need help, like I feel like I need help now. Well, you've been on a real journey to try and find the path. Um, first, you went to Rhythmia in Costa Rica. Maybe just say something about that, what that was like. And did you feel like you found the path there? And, and, or, was it, or was it a, you know, a false path? Yeah, Rhythmia was quite an amazing experience. It also happened. A lot of things I've done have happened fairly last minute. Say what it is. Say what Rhythmia okay, is. Okay. So Rhythmia is a, it's called Rhythmia Life Ad- Advancement Center. And it's a place where they do um, plant medicine, ayahuasca, which is a sacred Amazonian plant, a vine that contains DMT, a psychedelic um, drug. And it's been used for centuries as as a way of healing in various tribes under the guidance of a shaman. And there's a whole, it's it's called a ceremony because it's actually a ritualistic ceremony. And that's how it works. And I'd done it once in New York. I found a, an underground, you know, is off the radar because it's not legal in the U.S. still. Um, I found a, a place to go outside New York City. And it was two nights. And I didn't really feel much of anything. Um, there was a group of maybe 15 of us. And the shaman was an American guy who had trained with uh, someone in the Shipibo tradition. And I just felt like, well, maybe this just doesn't work for me because I'd started to feel like like a lot of things weren't working. I tried ketamine assisted therapy um, the year before that. Um, I tried 
Just see what that is for a second. Ketamine. So ketamine is is a drug. It's anesthetic. And um, it's been used in recent years to treat anxiety and depression. So uh, a friend of mine recommended that. And I found, um, this was during the pandemic, but I found a local therapist who uh, met with me a few times and then administered um, ketamine um, through, a, through an injection and led, led me through a couple hours um, of that experience. And I, I also left that feeling um, pretty, pretty disappointed and, and very sad. Like uh, I, I felt physically sick. I had had to fast the night before, the day before. And I felt physically sick and a lot of um, difficult emotions kind of arose so that I didn't, I didn't feel like, um, like, like I'd gotten much benefit from it and I could have tried it again, but I didn't. And uh, then I took a, I took a break off from therapy for a while, regular therapy. I tried to devote my time just to 12 step recovery um, I found a, a creative coach to help me with my writing. I thought maybe uh, I knew I wanted to do a podcast, but I couldn't kind of make a decision. I wanted to like try a bit of everything and then would get overwhelmed. So that just wasn't really helping. And then one of my very close friends, um, we went to a five rhythms dance workshop at Esalen in Big Sur, a beautiful place to go. And I met someone who worked at Rhythmia. And yeah, the next thing I knew, I, I had applied to go to Rhythmia for just after New Year's of this year. And uh, it's a, it was a seven-day week. It was a seven-day retreat. And we, we did the plant medicine ceremonies four nights out of the seven, Monday through Thursday. And each night was slightly different with a different shaman and a different brew. One was a Colombian tradition. One was a Brazilian tradition. And... It was really quite incredible um, because it it felt so different than the one I'd done the previous November in New York. So I, I did feel the effects. You know, there were some visions, um, kind of they call them um, ge- geometric like patterns, and uh, and there were um, ninety of us there all different ages, people had all different reasons for being there, working through trauma or, you know, some people had been before, some people had never done it. Um, you could feel that people were, were, you know, anxious at the beginning. And then we sort of got into a rhythm, rhythmia, you know, of, yeah. of knowing kind of not what to expect because it, it can be totally different. You know, you could have a really great experience one night and a really difficult the next. And for me, I felt, I felt quite strong. Um, a lot of people are scared to vomit because there's, you know, vomiting that goes on. That's, that's part of it is the purge, they call it. Um, there's a few bathrooms in the, in the space, but you also have a bucket at the end of your mattress. And people are purging, sometimes quite violently into into these buckets throughout the night so so you're hearing you know you're hearing this for hours and it can feel you know scary and you're not you don't talk to anyone else because you don't know what they're going through you know and and you you can't know and it's not your business and you have to focus on yourself but that gets increasingly harder as you get to know people better 
but then there's a sharing circle at the end of the night and you can, you know, people will say what, what happened. And yeah, it was a very, just a very beautiful time. Um, but I, I remember feeling like I was, I was letting go of things that I didn't need, like feeling like a victim or being defined by my diagnosis of BPD. You were feeling like you were letting go of being a victim. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like I, like I rose up into who I'm supposed to be in this world. Obviously I was dressed very nicely as, you know, as I tend, tend to be. (laughs) You're a fashion plate. Yeah. So people would, you know, compliment me on, on that as well. Um, but you know, the, the medicine, the plant medicine really works with the music as well. And, and that was also what was disappointing back in November was that there was no music. There was some chanting, but that was it. So in this situation, they really had it down. They had like a whole playlist of recorded music and they also had live music at times. Um, and I'm a singer. So I found myself singing frequently, you know, even if I didn't know the words, I would just kind of catch on and I would get up and I would dance. There were some really great dance you know, songs and uh, some of the other people would be dancing and, and then there'd be people that just were completely passed out on their mattress, you know, just not, not at all there. And then on the, on the Wednesday night, we had um, a women's circle and all the women were, were encouraged to uh, participate in this beautiful dance and circle. And, um, and one of the helpers, there's many helpers because, you know, you need help when you're on this medicine. Um, one of the helpers, uh, you know, she and I just gave each other like this big hug. And I felt just like so, so happy, so peaceful. And it's, I don't know, it feels kind of sad looking back on it because it was just a few months ago what it feels like, like another time, like. Yeah. Like I miss, I, I miss feeling that way. I miss feeling that strength and that support. And instead I just feel scared of, of what, of what's been happening to me. Well, you didn't just do that. You, you then went off and uh, went on a 10 day silent meditation retreat. Yeah. So Rhythmia was in January and then I came back to New York and I, I got into it was a, a hard landing. It was a hard landing, hard landing from it. I also got COVID while I was gone, which was confusing because I had tested negative to get back into the U S. So I didn't really understand what was, what was real and what wasn't real. And it's hard to understand after um, a psychedelic journey, what's real and not real in any way. So all of this was sort of confusing because when I finished, when I finished the week at Rhythmia, I really felt like I'd healed something. We, we worked with three different intentions, which were show me who I've become, merge me back with my soul at all costs and heal my heart. Just say those again. Those are really beautiful. Show me who I've become, merge me back with my soul at all costs and heal my heart. So we had these written on the walls. We talked about them a lot. Um, the idea is that you ha- you split from your soul when you're maybe like five or six years old. Something happens. It doesn't have to be a major trauma. It can be anything. Like someone didn't want to play with you that day. And all of a sudden you're, you split from your soul and 
You no longer trust that things are okay. And so we want to get back with our soul because that's the only way we can be, you know, be at peace and move forward. So they really talk a lot about that. Um, and, and I also wanted to heal my heart of, of all this, you know, mess and chaos and confusion and sadness that I'd been feeling for so long. So I really felt I'd done that. Yeah. Yeah, COVID had been really tough, really, really tough. And, uh, I'd had some kind of disastrous relationships. I hadn't worked. I I was sewing a little bit here and there. And then I, I was getting unemployment and didn't really know what was next. And it was just a lot of flailing, but, um, I got back to New York and I had another trip planned, which is not unusual for me. I had a trip planned to Columbia and I, I did think for a bit that maybe I wouldn't go, that maybe it just wasn't the right timing. But when I came back to New York, things felt bad again. So I didn't, I didn't want to be in New York. So I thought, well, I have this trip planned to Columbia, but that turned out to be very, very difficult because Columbia is a big, a big trip, a big place to go. It's not like a weekend excursion. It's like, another country with another language and lots of, you know, Mm. organization, which, which I would have been good at, but I just felt too exposed, like too vulnerable. Well, you went to Cartagena, which is one of the most exposed places anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I went to Cartagena and then, um, I went to Medellin. At first I wasn't even going to go to Medellin. Medellin. I was just going to be in Cartagena, but, um, but I didn't really like it there that much. It felt too touristy for me. So then I, um, I was there for 10 days and it was, it was a pretty tough, tough 10 days for me. I felt like I just wanted to come home. I was quite anxious and depressed. I came back, uh, mid February or end of February. I can't remember. And then, um, I just kept looking for the next thing. I just was like, what, what is the thing that's going to make me feel better? I started with a new therapist. I, um, I went back to my old therapist. I had three therapists for a while. Um, miss therapy. Yeah. Miss therapy. I tried to make a schedule for myself so that I could feel like I had a reason to kind of get up or whatever. Um, and then uh, someone I met mentioned to me the Vipassana um, course. They call it a course, although you could call it a retreat. But it, it's um, a retreat feels more like light. Like Rhythmia also had a lot of really beautiful things like massage and amazing meals and, you know, um, plant integration sessions and whatnot. Yeah, dancing and, and song dancing and yoga and meditation and breath work and all these incredible things and people pay a premium price to go there and the vipassana is a donation based um experience for t- for 10 days that's the minimum for new new students they say there's new students and then once you've done it you're an old student and uh, they separate the men and women it's a very very basic accommodation you bring your own sheets and pillows and uh and you you really just eat sleep and meditate that's that's all you do for 10 days there's the same schedule wake up bell is at 4 a.m 
And then uh, you're you're back in your room by like nine, nine thirty, and then you do it all again. There is a walking path, and I would go out and on the walking path, but you you take a vow of noble silence, so you don't talk to any of the other meditators. You can talk to the course manager or the teacher or assistant teacher. Um, all the teaching is done by Goenka, who is the spiritual leader of this um, this course, this movement. And um, and he passed in 2013, but it's all recorded. There's videos and audio recordings. And, um, and he's quite funny. Like you listen to him in the evenings. They call it the discourse. And he tells lots of stories and kind of jokes around and whatnot. Um, and then on the was last day, hmm? was what he said helpful to you? Yeah. Yeah. I would identify with it. Um, he talks a lot about awareness and, um, and not getting attached to any cravings or aversions because those mm-hmm. are things that you either want more of or want none of. And that's, that's where your sankaras develop, um, your miseries. So we talked a lot about, um, we talked, I listened a lot about that. And um, first you just learn how to focus on the breath around the nose. And then you learn um, about observing your body sensations. And it could be any, any kind of sensation, a pleasant sensation, an unpleasant, throbbing, it could be physical pain just from sitting in the meditation posture for an hour plus or at a time. Um, and I, I wasn't sure, you know, I was doing it right. I would check in with the teacher. I didn't really feel that much. I would, my mind would wander and it would be very hard to bring it back to the, to where, where we were supposed to be. And I thought a lot about the future. I thought a lot about the past. I felt a lot of resentments. Some of the resentments scared me. It was, it was a lot. It was a lot. And I, I started to feel around the fifth day that I felt unprepared to go back into the world. No, not to stay there, but go back in the world. Yeah. I felt they're very kind of safe. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess I didn't tell you that. Um, I felt very safe there, you know, taken care of. The meals are all made lovingly and provided. And um, I felt sort of, yeah, like like I didn't have my phone or any technology or writing t- or music or, you know, all of that. Just um, I felt like I had overloaded myself for so many months with with all these different healing techniques and people's opinions and checking people's social media and posting myself on social media that I started to feel just like, I don't want any of this anymore. And where, what, what can I do to live my life without it? But I, I, I still haven't come up with a solution. I always think that you sometimes oscillate between uh, deprivation and simplicity and opulence over the top. It's I, and, Maybe this was a kind of a detox, but it but it didn't it didn't seem to stick with you in the sense of being uplifting. It seems like you saw something that dragged you down. Yeah, I think uh, when I left, I felt very um, like vulnerable and raw 
And they say to continue the meditation two hours a day, morning and night. And that didn't feel like something I was going to be able to commit to. Yeah, a lot of a lot of things happened in the, the last few weeks that made me feel uh, quite quite scared of the world and myself and and untrusting. I think I the last thing we said in the last episode was I read a quote about trusting yourself, and uh, mm-hmm. I I started to really not trust myself. That I started to think that every decision I made was wrong, and and that that's had a real impact on me you know this is the 49 days between the beginning of passover and the shavuot and we count the omer um 49 days i've been always a big fan of doing it i don't think i've missed counting a day in i don't know 40 or 50 years i I, it's just i'm i'm very committed to it sometimes i wake up in the middle of the night because i said oh i think i forgot to count so i get up i get dressed i count and i'll say the bra um and i used to say with you when you were a kid, I used to say the the Omer count, and 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 every day has a pair of characteristics to it. So the first week are all characteristics of kindness, but they're modified by strength and by beauty and by eternity and by kind of a majesty and and then foundation and presence and 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 I I kind of think what's happened to you is you've only gotten some of those spheres, and you need to reintegrate the other ones. Like you get the strength, the ones that strip you of things, but you don't get the kindness where you repair and, and regrow the world for yourself. Now today, it's and it's one of the reasons Yom HaShoah comes, the Holocaust Memorial Day is, today is, is Gevura and Tiferet, the, the day of power, and which is from the left side. It's very strong. It's very stark. Um, and it's very scary. And and Tiferet, beauty. And I think of that as really you. I think of the, that pair of strength and beauty as really you. Sometimes you're really tough on yourself, but also you have a lot of beauty in you, you and you love beauty. You know, you have fashion and color and prints and 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 all those things. There's such a beauty about you. I just kind of I'm I'm just hoping that you can find the other side, you know, the side of kindness and the side of eternity. Yeah, um, I hope I can too. I don't, I don't know what some some things like happened to me where I just uh, I feel like s- something's broken. Well, we've had a very hard time in the world, you know. I I just wonder how that plays in. You know, we've had COVID, which is the one thing that would be I couldn't design a worse thing for you, a, a, a an illness that kept you away from everybody else plays into your worst fears and makes you desperate for companionship because it's so lonely to do that. And then war, you know, the war in Ukraine is in our faces. It's in my face because it's, I live in in the next country, but it's really in the whole world's face, you know? Yeah. This, this dislocation right now. I kind of think just, we just count these days that we'll feel a relocation in some ways. We'll concentrate on kindness, then we'll concentrate on strength, and then we'll combine the two and concentrate on beauty. Kindness and strength, not just the strength part, which can also be be a victim, right? It's associated with the patriarch Isaac, you know, who was 
a victim. I, his father tried to kill him. And I'm not trying to do that to you. I'm trying to hold you and embrace you. Yeah, thank you. Well, the last day of the course is called Meta Day, and it is all about loving kindness. And um, I just, I remember that day just feeling like I couldn't, I couldn't take it in or something. It just wasn't, I don't know, maybe I wasn't ready for it or I didn't believe it or something. And, you know, I'm not going to say I like regret doing this course or, or even, I don't even know exactly what, what it's given me still, but I, I do think that I, I tried so many things to feel better and, uh, just kind of like put too much on my plate. And, and now I feel like I, I've, I have to kind of strip down to like the core and like rebuild, Mm. you know, like that time I, I dyed my hair, like a bunch of different colors (laughs) at once. And had to strip, they had to strip my hair at the salon and put a new color on. That's sort of, sort of how it feels. Like, I think all these things are valuable that I've learned. And there's, there's so many good pieces that I want to hold on to. But it's for someone like me, I just, I get so overwhelmed when I have too many, too many options, too much choice. And, you know, I haven't, I haven't worked in quite a while and, um, a lot of people get, get their meaning from, from working. And, um, so I've started thinking like, hmm? it's a discipline work. You have to, you don't have very many options. You just have to go and do it because they tell you to, right? because they need you to, and because it's the right thing to do. And if you don't work, then sometimes you have too many options every day. Yeah. So I think that's like what's happened to me is that I'm like, well, what do I do right now? Like, what do I do at this moment? You know, and I have like 10 different things I could do and I get quite confused and overwhelmed. And then, you know, as my kind of just basic self-care starts to slip, um, it feels harder to make any any decision. Well, I have to say that I'm I'm kind of like that in some ways also. Not like you, but like me. And I think when I was a teenager, I felt that so strongly that I could go wild. And so I started to become much more religious because the Jewish law and customs and restraint was so helpful to me. You know, I like if I went to a restaurant and I could eat everything, I became I became ravenous and I would just consume. But because of being kosher and then being a vegetarian and for a while being a macrobiotic. I couldn't eat everything. So I, I had to stay within the, in the boundaries. And in some ways that was helpful to me. One day a week, I didn't, I didn't do the things that I just felt like doing, you know, like other teenagers, I kept Shabbos and I was felt liberated by that. And I met other people in those rooms. Yeah. I know you've mentioned that to me in the past and I, I definitely see, see the meaning in that. I, Lately, I, I feel like I can't go to any restaurants because I have a really hard time with the menus and knowing what to order. And then when I get my food, so something inevitably feels wrong to me. Well, I, I understand that, you know, 
So it's interesting. When you go to a supermarket in Budapest, they're like, it's like one one tenth or maybe one twentieth of the choices. You go to a supermarket in America, it's like an overwhelming experience. They're like 30 kinds of everything, you know, and and yeah, everything is a choice. And and it's huge, you know. It, it takes you five minutes to walk from one side of the store to the other. So it's it is a very different experience. In some ways, Europe maybe suits me a bit. Because it's more limited, and America's the land of no boundaries, you know? Yeah. Well, I think we'll come together again next time, and I hope that you'll feel a bit better and feel a, a bit less lost. And I hope that these days, these 49 days between Passover and Shavuot, between the liberation and the revelation um, of our counting, will give you some uh, some guidance and some ability to make decisions. I, th- I think if I listen to your amazing story, even in some ways, you know, the, the, the image of you riding on the ride for the living in first gear um, is a good metaphor for you. You've, you've often had to struggle up against the gears, you know, you didn't quite know how to shift into an easier one. Um, and I, I hope that in the long run that the Rhythmia and, and the Vipassana will, will have been, Valuable turning experiences. I want them to be. I think they can be. Yeah. It's very courageous of you to do it. I don't know too many people that would do both of those things. Well, thanks. I mean, I, it feels like I can't do the things that normal people can do, you know, like go to work every day and like have a family. And I can only do these kind of extreme things. And, and I just, I just keep looking for, for the answer or for like, for some kind of guidance or for, or for God. I'm like looking for God. Um, I'm trying to, trying to trust like that things are, are going to be okay. I, I look at pictures of, of my, of my grandparents, of your parents you know, on my mm. wall right now, I'm looking at a picture of, of them and, you know, wish that they were here or that I could still talk to them. I mean, I can still talk to them. Do you have a picture of my grandfather, Harry? Mm, no. You know, I, I, I listened to your story and I think about um, the fact that my grandfather, your great grandfather was, was his name was Harry Cohen and he was a Cohen. He really liked it. He he would go to shul, and um, he would wear a, the circular uh, Lithuanian yarmulke, and he would get the first aliyah because he was a kohen. You know, he would get called up to the Torah, and he always kind of would smirk when he went up there because he said, "Hey, I'm a kohen," you know. And then I once asked him what it meant to me. He said, "Nothing. It's nonsense." <laughs> it was like <laughs> such a deflating answer. And then I started to have a conversation with him, and I said, "I don't know if it means nothing. You're a very intense guy." Harry Cohen, you're like, you are a Cohen. You are playing with some kind of intense and, and um, uh, you know, exclusive fire. And I sometimes think about you as his great-granddaughter, that you can't do the regular things so easily, but the extraordinary things you can do. You know, hmm. that's why I always find you so extraordinary. You're like a Cohen. You're, you know, you might have been good in a, in a, in a convent in some time, you know, in which 
power women would get together to do the sacrifices that are ripping apart. I don't think that's what that's what I tell Harry was about. You know, I used to eat. We used to have Sunday dinner every week with my cousins and my uncle and aunt and my parents and Harry and, and my grandmother, um, who I kind of don't remember there at all. We had on the table that it's the same table that's in your in your apartment that you're maybe sitting at right now. Um, and and it almost became at a certain point like an altar for me, like a mizbeach, like a place where the we had chicken every single Sunday together at that table, every single one, we, you know, boiled chicken and fried chicken and baked chicken, and roasted chicken and oh, chicken and chicken and more chicken. But the way we would eat it was almost like a ritual, like the one you went to at Rizmia. It was was very stylized and we'd have this intense political and psychological conversation during the meal. And then at the end of it, my grandmother would bring out like seven desserts. Hmm. And, and my father would always say only seven like that. It was always such a big joke. when he'd say that only seven, only three cakes. And, and I think her intuition was that we needed it after that, like intense lunch. We needed like sweets. Then we watch baseball. <laughs> <laughs> maybe eat watermelon or roll down the hill. So I kind of think that the, the intensity came into you and you, maybe you can't do the regular things so easily, but the intense things you can do. Well, yeah. I love you, my daughter. I love you too. And, uh, we hope you enjoyed the podcast and we'll come again and do it again. Yeah. I'll do it again. Did you have a quote you want to read? Hmm. I don't know if I have a quote today. There's a quote from David Lynch. The thing about meditation is you become more and more you. David Lynch. A wise man for sure. 